is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent. I'm uh, one of the staff here, and I'm really delighted that you're here with us today, and I'm really glad to be here with you. There's, I love gathering together with you all, and I always look forward to Sundays, some uh, more than others, so I'm, I'm glad I could be here with you today. I got a call from my um, brother um, Friday morning that my mom didn't go down to breakfast, and then when they went to check on her, they discovered that she had passed away in her sleep um, overnight. So uh, not the weekend I had planned, and this wasn't um, really a surprise, I guess, because she's 92, but she had been well and everything had been going along, so it was uh, a little bit unexpected. So. Uh, we had to make a bunch of decisions Friday, and one of them was what to do about today. And I quick texted the staff and sent some messages and like, oh, no big deal. I'm, I should, shouldn't interfere with Sunday, and the sermon's done, and everything's ready, and I don't want to miss the kickoff, so I'll be here. Uh, no problem. I didn't take into account how exhausting the last two days have been. And so I'm standing before you to admit that I'm a little bit tired. And uh, a little bit now, this part of the day, I'm starting to not be able to track very well in my thinking. So uh, I just thought it would be good to give you a fair warning that it might not be the A game today, and it might be a little different than uh, what I prepared and whatever. And so if you came expecting something really like, wow, on kickoff Sunday, you might not get that. But I'm going to give you the advice my mother always gave us when our plans didn't go the way we wanted them to go. Her advice was, get over it. <laughs> so you just deal with what you have to deal with. Uh, I found it interesting because last night as I was looking this over, uh, the, the, I was even thinking differently about the passage last night than I was earlier in the week. When I first read this passage, it's the story of the rich young ruler, and I was thinking about uh, what chair does the rich young ruler belong in if he's on this journey of discipleship? And that was the main question I was going to ask you to start with. But since this stuff happened this weekend, reading this passage made me wonder the question, do you know what eternal life is? And do you know how to get eternal life? That's the question I'm thinking about now. So maybe while I'm reading through this passage, you can think about both those questions. This rich young ruler belongs in one of these chairs. Which chair do you think it is? And you, as you're listening to this description, do you know what eternal life is? It'd be good if you'd read along with me. I'm in Matthew chapter 19. So if you've got your Bible or your device to read Scripture on, I'm going to read Matthew 19, 16 to 22. Matthew 19, starting with verse 16. And I'm really happy to pray for you today, and I'm glad that you're all praying for me. Here's one of the prayers I pray. The Lord be with you. Matthew 19. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, 
you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So yesterday, our family met at the funeral home to make some plans and arrangements for my mom, and um, more than a few times, we got off track a little bit. And uh, it didn't take long for the funeral home director, Bill, to figure out that we were all raised in the same home. We all kind of look the same. We look like siblings. And we all have the same sense of humor. And so we spent a fair amount of time telling some stories and joking around about things. One of the things that we laughed the hardest about was how predictable my mom was in making her prearrangements for this day. She had a book filled out with all kinds of instructions, and she told us exactly what she wanted. And uh, my brother pulled out this paperwork, and one of the sheets was a a full-page listing of all the caskets for sale. And they were listed by price with the highest one at the top and then in descending value all the way down to the bottom of this page. My brother whipped out this page and our eye immediately went to the very bottom and that one was circled, the cheapest one on the page. And this was no surprise to any of us. In fact, we had said on the way in that if she had had the option of taking a cardboard box to the funeral home and using that, I'm guessing she would have wanted to lose that. But then it got even better yet because... You know, uh, supply chain issues are affecting everything, so apparently they have affected the supply of caskets. And so the guy says, we don't have the casket your mother selected. And I'm wondering if behind that was like, the com- no one ever selects the cheapest casket. But um, they didn't have that one. So he said, we're going to have to you know, upgrade you to a more expensive casket, but we'll give it to you at the same cost. And I'm like thinking, this just made mom's day. This was like exactly what she would want. Get a better casket for the price of the cheaper one. So we recognized as we spent some time together yesterday that growing up in the same family, um, if you spent any time at all with my two brothers and my sister, you'd know we, we all grew up in the same family. We're very much alike. That This shaped us. It shapes the way we talk about things. It shapes our values. It shapes our understanding of of life. I think it even shapes our posture and our vocabulary and things like that. So you have no doubt that we're family. This same thing is true if you hang out with any group of people for a long time. You know that? You become like the people you live with. This is true for everyone. So if you're a Cubs fan or a Packer fan or a Hawkeye, you hang out with other Packer fans, and you become a certain way. You have certain behavioral expectations. You wear certain clothing. You have a certain database in your head, and this is the way it is. And it works the same if you're a group of gardeners or auto mechanics or uh, you have some other kind of hobby that you are seamstress. That You have a certain way of being that you get shaped into being that way like your fellow seamstresses or gardeners, Right? The same thing is true if you follow Jesus. 
And this is what we've been talking about now for several weeks, that we are the kind of people who want to become like Jesus and follow him, and we know that we become more like Jesus by hanging out with other people who are like Jesus. And our key verse is from 1 John 2, verse 6. We talked about this each week, and it's the vision that if we claim to live in Jesus, then we must live like Jesus, that we really think it is possible to become more like him, and that's what we want to do. We're the kind of people who want to become more like Jesus. So we're trying to figure out how to do that and trying to be as clear as possible about what that looks like. And so we're using these four chairs to help us. We're talking about a continuum of growth, that we understand that we grow in stages and that we might recognize ourselves as being at one of these stages. The first one is, I'm a seeker. I've heard about Jesus. I'm curious about who he is. I might want to know more about him. I'm exploring who Jesus is. At some point, I cross the line of faith and I say, I trust him. Now I'm a follower. I believe in him. And usually when you're in this first chair of believer, you're eager to dig deeper. You want to know a lot more. You're trying to explore all that this might mean. And a lot of times a good place for us to start when we're in this second chair is the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell us more about Jesus. As we spend more time learning about Jesus and growing in that, we, we advance up the continuum to a stage where we like become the abider. We abide in Jesus. And we then recognize we have gifts and that this is all too good to keep to ourselves. We want to start figuring out how we can serve other people, how we can use those gifts for the benefit of others. And if we continue to grow long enough, then we end up down on this end of the spectrum where we become a multiplier, a reproducer, a leader, where we recognize that we have to be intentional about investing in people all along this, that we're telling people about Christ, that we're helping new believers grow, we're helping mentor and shape uh, workers. We're, we're part of a dis being a disciple who's making disciples. That's what we do at this end of it. And we're saying this so that you can recognize a, con a continuum. And this, the purpose of this talk is not to like scold anyone or shame you or, or get you to figure out, you know, where you're supposed to be. If like, if you're in chair two, we're not saying, oh, you lousy person, you got to figure out how to get to chair three. We're saying that's, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. And we're doing some self-analysis, self-identify where we're at, and then maybe we can help each other discover what's next. How do we keep moving along this line? Now, to the astute observer who's been here for multiple weeks, you'll notice that I've added something new to the illustration of the four chairs. Anybody notice anything different? Yes, we have boxes sitting here, and these are representing walls. So part of our understanding of this journey of this continuum is that we do have the potential at any given time to get stuck in a chair. And the reason that happens is because there's barriers, that there's walls that get put into place. And these walls keep us where we're at. They don't help us move forward. So what we want to try to figure out in the next couple of minutes is just what does a wall look like and how do, what do we do about that? And we're going to use the story of this rich young ruler to help us do that. Now, the rich young ruler was somewhere along this continuum. Um, I'm curious what you think. What chair do you think the rich young ruler is in? If you had to pick one of these four chairs, seeker, believer, abider, multiplier, what chair do you think the rich young ruler is in? Think about that. I think I can see him in the first chair, 
And I usually read this story with that in mind, thinking, yeah, he's just coming to Jesus for the first time, and so he's curious. He wants to know more about what it means to follow him, and so when he gets the call to follow, he doesn't. I also started to imagine this week that he might be farther down the chain than I realize, that he might have already been following Jesus, and the questions that he's asking are questions about growth. They're questions about development. They're questions about, hey, Jesus, I'm, I'm here. How do I go farther? This is the kind of question he has. Think, think about it from that perspective when you hear the story one more time. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? This is a really good question. This is the question of someone who might be farther along the way, and he's wondering now, what does that mean? I don't want to stay where I'm at. I want to get farther along. That could be part of what he's asking. Jesus says, well, why are you asking me about this? There's only one who's good, but I'll tell you, if you want to be good, keep the commandments. And the guy says, which ones? Again, this is a, this is a question of somebody who's wanting to go deeper. He's engaged with Jesus. He's trying to figure it out. And Jesus replies to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man responds, I'm good. I've done all that. What else do I lack? Now these are questions that make me think he's somewhere down in here because he's really trying to probe the next step for him to go deeper. And so Jesus says this to him, if you want to be perfect, now it sounds like he's talking about this end of the chair, doesn't he? If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And when the man heard this, he went away very sad because he had great wealth. So there was a barrier, a wall, that was keeping the man from going farther. What was the wall? His wealth, his possessions. He had so much stuff. And when push came to shove, no matter where he was at this, on this scale, the idea of following Jesus a little farther didn't mean as much to him as his stuff meant to him. He wasn't willing to give up his stuff. And that created a wall. Now Jesus, I think, is telling this story because this is the story we all have to face. We all have the potential to face walls in our growth. Walls that get us stuck in a certain place. Have you ever felt stuck in your, in your growth as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Like, I think I should be farther along, but I'm not. I'm stuck. And Jesus says, come on, come follow me. Keep coming. And we can't get past the wall. I think we all have faced this, and I thought it might be helpful if I just broke down the kinds of walls we might face into kind of categories. There's so many different things can become walls, but in my mind, they all kind of fall into three categories. So the first barrier to growth is sin. So we started this whole series by looking at the reality that we are sinful people and that this sin creates a, a problem that has to be dealt with. And it seems like in this journey, Jesus is calling us to say, 
you can move toward less and less sin. He never says you got to, you're going to get rid of it all. He never says that. But there should be a way for us to deal with and process the sin. I'm going to read that passage again, too. We started here the very first week, 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. So the sin's there and we're walking into this light farther and farther and and Jesus takes care of that. But if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's never gone. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word of truth is not in us. Here's one of the walls, the kind of walls we can build up. We rebel. We disobey. We dishonor. We're, we're greedy. We're filled with lust. We have uncontrollable anger. I mean, what's your sin? I don't know your sin. I know my sins. And I know my sins sometimes get in the way of me growing because I like to hold on to my sin. I don't want to confess it. I don't want to admit it. I don't want to face it. Sometimes I'm even in denial about the kinds of things that might be sin. Sin creates walls. Everybody has to deal with that. And this creates a real dilemma because the Bible describes us as like we're simultaneously like sinners and saints. We are moving. We're growing. I think the dilemma is that if you don't deal with the sin, then you get stuck. Maybe you get stuck here. Maybe you get stuck here. Maybe sin even keeps people stuck way back here. I can't trust in Jesus because I don't want to let go of my sin. Big category of stuff, big potential barrier for sin. The second barrier to growth is satisfaction. And I really liked that word on Wednesday when I was writing this because they all started with S. But now I don't think I like that. And someone in the, second, in the first service gave me a, a better word. The word is complacency. That's what I mean by satisfaction. We get into life and we get into routines, or maybe a good word would be rut. And we just stay there. And I'm not going to say it's necessarily a sinful thing. It's just life. You know how life goes, right? We have a lot of things we have to do, and so we don't address the most important things. We become satisfied, we become content, we get in a rut, and we stay there. And so we might be in a chair for a long time in one place, stuck. I had a conversation with someone while we were mowing down on pizza out there earlier, and he was telling me he's stuck, and he doesn't know how he got stuck, but he thinks he's been stuck for a long time. And he couldn't really uncover any big nasty thing that got him stuck. It's just life. All the stuff in life. That's the way satisfaction or contentment works, complacency. Um, so maybe this is another category of barrier that we have to face. We're just maybe not attentive, or maybe we're a little bit lazy, or stuff looks more appealing than it is. Now, this becomes a problem because what happens if we become satisfied too long with where we're at? is we, we do run the potential of that thing does become an idol. It becomes more important than God. It becomes more important than following him. 
So there's a little slippery slope. This might be a tricky one here. Do you recognize if you're stuck because you're just satisfied with the way things are at? And here's where the Bible gives us a warning, Isaiah 55, verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Why would you stay there? Because it's, it's not what you really want. It's not the abundant life. It's not moving us toward Jesus. It's not moving us to become more like Jesus toward perfection. It's not moving us in that direction. Why would you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. This is the invitation to deal with the things that satisfy us, with, which keep us stuck. To address those walls, to name them and, and work on those. That's a second category. And the third category is very much related to both these. It's the category of suffering. That sometimes we don't want to move forward because we just know it's going to be hard. We're going to be asked to do something that's difficult. Maybe we don't want to do it. There's the sin. Maybe because it's going to make us uncomfortable, there's the contentment. Something about it is going to move us toward suffering. And in fact, when Jesus talked about discipleship, about moving down this chain, the way he talked about it most often had a tone of suffering to it. You know that? Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to follow me, you should deny yourself and take up a cross, that sounds like suffering to me if you want to follow Jesus. Are we willing to enter into that? I find that what happens often, at least in my own life, is that suffering sometimes tempts uh, me into building a wall that actually blocks me from growing rather than helps me from growing. When I'm dealing with really difficult, tragic things, I think, where is God in that? Why would God bring about that kind of, or allow that kind of suffering or tragedy? And many people have built barriers to God, built walls in their growth because of suffering in the world generally. They call that the problem of evil. Like people look out, how can there be so much evil if there's a loving God? There must not be a God. This is, this is building a wall. When in fact, what God wants to do is he wants to take us deeper, and in order for us to go deeper, we really have to enter into his suffering. That's the invitation. And I realized in the middle of this, in the first service, this is a way complicated idea about which I should say a whole lot more, and I'm completely unprepared to say that. But I'm going to give you a recommendation if you want to dig into this. And um, I'm going to count on Leah or someone in the tech team getting this on the Facebook page so you can find the link. There's a podcast called, look at that, you guys are so good. (laughs) Thank you very much. Gospel and Light. Tim Keller has a bunch of sermons on there. The sermon from, I think it was about the middle of last week, was on suffering and the place of suffering in the life of Christian. Hands down, the best sermon I've ever heard. And um, that was before my mom died. I'm going to go listen to it again. The best sermon on suffering ever. And so if you'd like to know a little bit more about that, I'll, I'll point you in that direction. And we'll probably cover this again in a future sermon. But the next steps for us is to try to figure out then, if we're somewhere on this continuum and you feel stuck because there's a wall that's preventing you from going forward, what are you going to do about it? Okay? 
If the thing that's keeping you stuck is your sin, well, the invitation's right there in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he forgives us and cleanses us. So if the barrier is sin, confess it and get forgiven. If the barrier is that you're complacent, you're just satisfied with where you're at, you're stuck, give it to God and, and trust God to move you forward. Ask him to move you forward. Now, this is risky prayer kind of stuff. God, get me out of my rut. God, move me forward. And if the barrier that you're facing is that it's, there's suffering that you're not sure about its meaning or there's suffering that's keeping you discouraged or keeping you down or hurt, some tragedy, then give that to God and say, God, I want you to use this suffering to grow me. Use this suffering to make me more like Jesus. Use this suffering to shape me like my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a hard prayer too. But if we pray that, if we take these next steps, then you know what happens? God knocks down these walls. So whatever chair you're in, you can move to the next chair. And that is the thing that God wants to do. The very next verses in this passage say how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the last thing Jesus says about it is this. What's impossible for you is possible for God. So you take this to God, he'll knock down your walls, and you will grow to the next chair. Dear Lord God, I give you thanks for meeting us here today in this place. You are a good, good Father, and you love us, and you want to see us become more and more like Jesus. I celebrate that with you and thank you for that. And I ask that you'll continue the good work in us until one day you do bring it to completion, and we're looking forward to that day. Until then, God, uh, have your way in our lives, and we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.